Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and Greek Super League football. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lamros Sirmos, Aristis Bulubasis, and our special guest for today, Christian Legas from Hellas Football. Christian, how are you doing? Uh, very well, thanks, Peter. It's, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. And um, you, you are our second Hellas Football guest to come on the podcast, but for your viewers who maybe didn't see the episode with Stephen Koduru, who did a great job, um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about Hellas Football, what you guys do, or, or you know where we can follow you on social media? Yeah, so we just cover a broad spectrum of all things Greek football, basically, from those that play outside of Greece, the Greek leagues themselves. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so at Hellas Footy, I think it is the Twitter handle, and you search up Hellas Football on Facebook, you'll find us quite easily if you want all the updates on Greek football, where you go to for that. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, speaking, speaking personally, it's a really nice resource for Greek football and English. You know, they have writers that for, if I'm not mistaken, that support all different sorts of teams. So, you know, they have some Olympiakos writers and, and also some, some Pauk Ike other people like that. So it's a really nice resource for basically anyone who, who's interested in Greek football of any kind. Um, speaking of Hellas football, we do have a couple more special guest announcements, including a surprise guest that has materialized very, very quickly. We will have Steven Koduru on again next week uh, for the Greek soccer midweek series on September 30th. That will be happening after the second leg of Olympiakos Omonia, and as well as the second leg of Pauk Krasnodar. So by then we will know what the Champions League group stage will look like, and we'll have Steven on to talk about that for a little bit. Additionally, some other special guests coming up. We have a correspondent from Olympiakos France coming on October 11th. On October 14th, we will have another Hellas Football and Agona Sport contributor, Greg Gavalas, he does the famous four-word reviews of Super League weekend matches. He'll be our first non-Olympiakos guest. He's, I believe he's an Ike writer on the Midweek Greeks football series as we continue to connect more communities throughout the podcast. Additionally, we will have another returning guest, Konstantin Devoyanis from Olympiakos EU. will be returning on Sunday, October 18th. It's honestly a bit far away. I don't even know who we're playing, but... There will be games to talk about with Constantine. He was a great guest last time as well. You can follow him on Twitter at CLEVO275. And you can follow Olympiakos EU on Twitter at Olympiakos EU. And that's Olympiakos with a C. Additionally, we would like to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International is not just a one-stop shop for all importing and exporting needs to Greece and other countries but they are also a source for all 220-volt appliances and electronics. For those who may not know, most countries outside of the U.S. use a different electrical system. So if you're moving overseas and want to bring those quality American appliances you're used to, reach out to Piraeus International. They work alongside a network of retailers across the country that specialize in appliances that work in Greece or other European countries. Check them out at www piraeusintl.com, spelled like the port in Greece, or give them a call at 410-675-4696. And with that, why don't we go ahead and get in some transfer news. 
The first thing that we have on our list here is a potential fullback coming in. We'll talk more about the fullback issue with the club. So this is why this one is maybe a bit exciting. We're looking at Mohamed Drager, a right back from Freiburg in Germany. The deal is rumored to be worth 1.1 million euros plus bonuses. We do have Rafinha on the right already, and maybe the left-back situation is a bit more dire, but Rafinha is also pretty old. We're going to need to rotate him a bit, and Drager could also be more of a long-term player for the future. He played on loan at Paderborn, also in Germany last year. We watched some film on him, and the main things that we took away were that he's got a good touch, he's good at taking defenders on and getting down the wings, he's, a, he's definitely more of an attacking wing-back, so more of that modern-day fullback that likes to get involved in the attack defensively he definitely could improve he's had some bad games more often than good games as a defender he's not even that good of a crosser unfortunately he connects less than 20 percent of his crosses um, for for reference Rafinha had 13 crosses in his two games with Olympiacos and connected seven of them so he's he's a good attacking fullback who likes to push forward but he's definitely got some points where he can develop. Lambro, any thoughts on this transfer? Yeah, this Drager uh, transfer is interesting to me because it kind of came out of nowhere. I feel like we've been linked with every single fullback in Europe this summer, and this one just almost materialized in almost 24 to 48 hours, so surprising to me. I read somewhere on Twitter, a uh, journalist, I think it's Adonis Economidis, I want to say. I follow him on Twitter. I don't read his stuff, but he made a comparison between Drager and Omar. They both came from lower German league sides, quite young. And anyway, they have a similar background. Um, they're, I guess, Drager, what would you say, Peter? He's Tunisian, but he has a French background or something along those lines. Anyway, yeah. it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. As we saw this weekend with Panatolikos, uh, Rafinha can't play every game. We're going to need a backup more than we used Gaspar last season for sure. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, so I think this guy on I haven't personally seen him play. On paper, seems like a decent deal. I think nineteen odd games in the Bundesliga last season, albeit for the team that finished last, but that would suggest he could cut it at a pretty decent level. Part of two clean sheets. I again playing for the team that I think shipped the most goals last year, but on paper, seems like a pretty decent get. Yeah, it's encouraging for sure. Honestly, I'm just looking for some more young legs at the fullback positions on both sides. And uh, maybe Drager is a step in the right direction. And obviously, we've seen that our fullbacks can, can go from being a bit suspect at some points and improving a lot. So I think it's an interesting deal to pursue. And the fact that it literally seems like, for some reason, fullbacks are just so hard to get in the transfer market. Uh, maybe this is a player that we should just snap up while we can. Moving a bit forward on the pitch, we have shown some interest in Crystal Palace legend and current Everton winger Yannick Bolasi. He's He is over 30, but he's a pretty well-known Premier League player. And with the deals for Gary Rodriguez and Sofian Buffal stalling, Bolasi has emerged as a potential option for Olympiacos. Yeah, Peter, I'm getting some news from France. My Across the border, I can see France right now. Uh, Sofian Buffal, the reporters in France are saying he does not want to play outside of a top five league. He wants to stay either in France, Germany, or England. So he's essentially ruled us out as a transfer option. Gary Rodriguez, uh, a pod legend, podcast legend, 
loved by loved by none. Uh, I'm happy to see that deal stalled, but we'll see with Yannick Wolas. He's 31, 32 years old. He's had injury problems in the past. We'll see where Yannick Bolasi goes, but that's not the most exciting signing either. Yeah, to be honest, that's the first I've heard of the uh, Bolasi rumor. I hadn't heard that one till now. So, as you said, Peter, uh, experienced in the Premier League. So, again, on paper, sounds great and probably would be great in Greece, but, you know, over 30, wouldn't get any more probably than three seasons out of him. But, you know, I'm not going to scoff at the idea of signing him as I think he's a decent footballer so yeah Yannick Bolasia reminds me of Ricardo Quaresma who just retired actually I think this this weekend um who we were linked with for like 20 years I, I like Ricardo Quaresma coming in the summer this summer for like ever so good luck to him but Yannick Bolasia reminds me of him it just goes to show the state of this position where we can't get any deals done just like with the left back position so yeah, we're just signing <laughs> at this point what you know we're getting an, another almost essentially free transfer from Nottingham Forest if it works out. Yeah, and going a bit younger, there are some rumors about Nemanja Radoncic from Marseille. He's I think a 24-year-old winger, interesting prospect, but decision making is a bit questionable as it often is with these younger players and it it seems like either we're, we're going to be ending up signing one of these older free transfer types or, you know, get a young winger that sort of has some room to grow and might not be a very polished player at this point. I guess this it seems to be where we are with the transfer market right now, which is honestly kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I was definitely not a fan of this guy. Uh, just the limited tape that I watched of him. I want, I'd rather have him nowhere near the team. I mean, he's, he's super selfish with the ball. There were multiple times where I was watching film and he has an open player right next to him or an open player running down the wing and he just prefer to take three people on than actually pass the ball. Not excited for him. Was not a, a transfer that I, one of the first actually transfers that I saw where I wasn't kind of excited about him. Like, oh, this could be cool. This might be interesting. No. There's, I didn't see much upside with this guy. He has ball skill, that's for sure, but no upside with this guy. Yeah, and our, our friend over at Olympiacos France, when this rumor broke, was just like in French, no, never, don't sign him. <laughs> like, so I don't know. It's probably not a great sign for one of the people in the community who knows French football to, to have that sort of reaction, you know? Yeah, that's good to know, certainly. Um, I'm sure the, the folks at Olympiacos France have watched him a lot. Um, Moving back to the Ruben Semedo saga. Yes, I'm going to use that word. It seems that the deal might be back on as Benfica are on the cusp of selling Ruben Diaz, their star center back, to Manchester City for 70 million euros. Now, I have heard reports that this may be a swap deal for Argentinian center back Nicolas Otamendi. However, it seems that Benfica are still interested in Semedo nevertheless. So, we looked like we might have Semedo at the club for at least one more year, but that might just be false hope at this point with the, the Ruben Diaz deal. It seems, according to Portuguese media, that Benfica will be returning to Greece with a much improved offer for Semedo, so maybe it's more money. I still personally would like to see a player come back to us, maybe the, that fullback Tomas Taveras, the, the young Portuguese player. 
Um, but you know, there were some decent offers being thrown around before this whole Ruben Diaz thing cropped up. So I'd be interested to see maybe if we can get a really good return for Semedo if he, if he does have to be sold. Yeah, Peter, the, actually, in the early morning for you guys and this morning here in Europe, there was a big debate that broke out on Twitter uh, regarding who is going to replace Ruben Semedo. I think it's kind of baked into the cards now that – I don't know if you guys saw this, but last night in the evening here in Europe, um, the manager of Benfica, Jorge Jesus, we discussed him a little bit um, when they played Pauk, but he came out and essentially said, yeah, we Ruben Diaz has played his final game for us. We're going to go for Ruben Semedo and Otamendi. These are two players who I know very well and essentially can fit my system. So not exactly ideal. <laughs> it's kind of weird when a coach starts talking about a player that's not even his and it's not official, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, look for an opposition coach to publicly declare that the actual name of a player he wants to come in is quite interesting. That's not something you hear, I don't think... Modern media, and we're talking about a replacement for Semedo, which I sort of hope doesn't happen because I'd ideally like to keep Semedo, given that you know that there's not long left to go in this window. But if we're talking about replacements, I just want Panagiotis Retsos to come home. I would yep. love to see him as a replacement for Semedo if that Semedo move were to eventuate. Well, that I agree with. But have we ever had the the number of games? played with players like in the transfer market that we've had this season. There's so many games being played between Guillerme and Semedo. This is like a never-ending saga with Semedo. I can't remember a transfer window where we've had this many games played with our players or players we've tried to bring in. The whole issue with Rice and Gary Rodriguez. Gary Rodriguez also won't go away. And this has been a never-ending saga with him as well. <laughs> Gary Rodriguez is going away. He's gone. He, he flew back to Saudi Arabia. He's gone forever. <laughs> but uh, I agree. Um, the, this, this Ruben Semedo thing won't go away. And I sent, I sent this link to Peter, actually. This news about Ruben Semedo sparked again because he went on Instagram Live with a champagne and alcohol-owning entrepreneur and they talked for 20 minutes and the guy kept asking him if he's going to leave and how good his champagne is it was super strange um but yeah just to jump in real quick on a replacement if it does happen well we'll see what it's only a week left for the window yeah a week left um retzos number one for me i saw socrates's name thrown around no i don't want to go there i still of us i wanted but He's not coming too because he just moved to Spain. But Socrates is my last option. I, I, yeah. I'd be okay. It's fine. He's older. He knows Greek football, I guess. But I, I just, it's just, I don't, I don't want to do it. Oh, there's too many injuries to Socrates. Look at, look at last season. Mm-hmm. It was. I felt like it was at least half the season where he wasn't available because of all the injuries he had. Yeah, he's he's great technically and positionally. He's very good still. Too many injuries, though. It's too, it's too much. Yeah, and moving to an even more treacherous position for the club right now, left back, and we're, we're going to get into how, despite we, we, you know, Jose Olivas is back at the club, and, and obviously we don't want to speak on him badly, but it's just unfair to him to expect him to, to carry that load, and the club has had a lot of trouble bringing in a new left back. Uh, obviously, we've, we've said the name Mateus Rice a lot of times, it seems that um, 
the move is getting just more and more difficult with his team Rio Ave continuing to advance in the Europa League playoffs. Kutris has already been loaned out to German side Fortuna Dusseldorf with an option to buy. He just recently recovered. And, I mean, he would have been back in the team soon, but now he's been loaned out. you got to wonder if something has happened between him and Martins there. And if the Rice deal falls through, we have shown some interest on a young Liverpool prospect named Yusser Laurucci. He is an Algerian and French player. He's got sort of both in, in his background. I mean, he can play both wingback positions, but he really hasn't played any senior football in his life. And so it's a bit concerning that we might be looking at him as our starting right back option. Just on uh, LaRouche, I did happen to see the one senior game, I think that he's actually played being, I think it was that F, Liverpool's FA Cup tie with Everton, I think in the third round of last season. And honestly, that was enough for me to say he should be Liverpool's second choice left back. I honestly thought he was very, very impressive. I think he played 80 out of the 90 minutes and definitely contributed to the clean sheet Liverpool had that night. So, you know, if we were to entrust LaRouche with some senior matches as a replacement for, or not a replacement, as an understudy to Holobus, I'd be more than okay with that. You know, I, it's, it's good that you've seen him play because I haven't, but, you know, if Maybe maybe he will be the second left back at Liverpool behind Chimikas, and then Robertson will just have to, I don't know, go go lose out somewhere else. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know sure. what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying. But um, no, but that's actually really good to know. And, and um, yeah, I hadn't seen him play, so that's interesting. Yeah, so guys, we were messaging a little bit about this when this Mateus Reis situation keeps getting turned into a saga, like almost every single transfer we've been dealing with this summer. And I'm, personally, I'm disappointed in the club. I saw a lot of fans were, especially this last league game yesterday with Panatolikos, people were super mad at Jose Olebas. They were like, this guy's terrible. He's not good enough for Olympiacos anymore, blah, blah, blah. And Jose Olebas shouldn't be blamed. Adi brought it up to me, but he's played three games in like five days, six days, something like that. And he's 36 years old. He hasn't played football since January. Yep. He, this is not Jose Olebas' fault. He did not come here to be the starting fullback. The club sold uh, Cosas Chimicas six weeks ago, and we're still waiting on a starting left back. It's terrible business by the club. I know that they can't, they're trying to work these deals. We didn't get Zaidu, we didn't get Trauco, I guess. And But come on, you know, it's, it, and then now we're going to take a 19 or 20 year old from Liverpool who's never played senior football before and throw him into Champions League. This is risky business going on right now, and I, I don't support what the club's doing here. This is the one area that I'm concerned with. You also forgot we did all of that before we even considered Gutris. Gutris was already set for a loan two months ago, well before well before he was scheduled to come back. I know we discussed this in a previous podcast, but I I really want to know what's going what went on with that situation, why Gutris is unhappy, why this loan was pushed through. Because something's not right here. This You can't just go from being one of the next big things for the team and then all of a sudden it's a loan out, loan out. We're never seeing him again. Something must have happened between Guterres and Martins because this whole thing doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's really concerning for me. And, I mean, it's just flattered unfortunate because, as you said, like, for 
obviously Greek fans are Greek fans. And, you know, if, if Odebas is, is going to play badly, he's going to hear it. And that's just kind of how it is. And I think he knows that hopefully it's funny. He, when we talked about him signing, I remember him saying, you know, I'm okay. If I don't play a lot, I'm okay. If I'm just, you know, more of a mentor for this team. I don't know if he would have expected to be getting jeered by the fans every game because he's playing too much and can't get any rest. But oh, I guess oh, we're here now. Oh, Holebas is the happiest man in the world that there's coronavirus right now because of packed Kariskaki, him on the ball. All <laughs> oh, the whistles would be so bad. They would be terrible. It would make Bukalaki seem like nothing. And again, Jose Holebas doesn't speak Greek. I, I know not that many people know that. So luckily enough, he wouldn't understand what they're saying. He hopefully doesn't understand what they're saying in his comment section on social media as well. <laughs> but yeah, it would be bad right now because... The fans have such high expectations, you know, especially with Chimikas gone, you know. It's it's not great. They need to bring in a replacement, not a replacement, but a, a player for left back. And I don't know if a 19 or 20-year-old is is going to work. Well, we're just going to have to see. I don't think he really cares, to be honest with you. It's his, He knows it's his last yeah. season. I don't think he cares. <laughs> He's got a he's got a strange personality. He's kind of I don't I don't know if you guys saw his like goodbye video from Watford, and like all the players were <laughs> yeah. essentially just like, Jose is an, the worst. He never <laughs> smiles. He, he's the meanest man I've ever met. It's like, what is this goodbye video? <laughs> <laughs> the one dude's like, I'm gonna miss my your wife more than I miss you. <laughs> yeah, and then his wife was on the goodbye video. It was like. Jose isn't the meanest, worst man I've ever met. He's a good man at home. It's like, this is the worst goodbye video I've ever seen. Like, anyway, uh, we, can, we may retweet that on Twitter with, along with this podcast because it was it pretty was hilarious. But yeah, the left back situation is a shambles. We'll talk about it more when we get into the actual games. One more bit of transfer news that we have uh, with Nottingham Forest, obviously a club we're very much connected with. One of their central midfielders, Thiago Silva, not to be confused with Chelsea defender Thiago Silva, who gave away a goal yesterday for no reason. Um, he is rumored to be coming to Olympiacos in a swap deal for Cafu. Now, this is obviously not official because Cafu played and scored a goal against Panetolikos to all of our surprise yesterday. So we'll get into that more, but it seems like Cafu might be on his way out shortly after being awarded the number eight shirt for Olympiacos. So not necessarily like I think, I don't necessarily think Cafu is a huge player for this club, but I honestly am a bit surprised that they really just cut him loose after really showing that much commitment in him by giving him the number eight. Yeah, it seemed, it's a weird one. I mean, if he was definitely on his way to Nottingham Forest and Thiago Silva, vice versa, I'm not sure if you'd give him any game time, let alone right. actually put him in the squad for the... Panathalikos uh, game, so yeah. I wouldn't. That that to me wouldn't suggest that's a done deal yet by any means. Do we get to play that theme song now? Since we're getting Tiago Silva, I know it's not the Tiago Silva that the song was made about, but oh do we still my. get to play the song? We get to play the song, <laughs> but I, Adi, I want to ask you about uh, Kafu. I know we've had mixed opinions of him, but yesterday's game he played pretty well when he came on did he not I, I he was playing in that eight role it seems and i don't know it was like a last game i think it was honestly one of his best games we've ever seen him play so interesting anyway 
I mean, he only played he only played for like fifteen fifteen or sixteen minutes. So it's <laughs> it's me. hard it's hard to it's hard to really judge. I mean, he only touched the ball like five or six times. You know, now every single one of those passes connected. They weren't really long passes. They were right next to it. And that's really my thing. It's not that it's not that I don't like him as a player. We actually had somebody that said, oh, you know, Adi hates this guy as a player. He's never going to say anything good about him. That's not true. I don't hate him as a player. It's just the truth is he's a, he's just a six. You know, I know Constantine, when we had him on before, thought maybe he could play further up the pitch, uh, more of that eight role. I just don't see it. You know, he's not that guy. Guillerme probably, in terms of a six, had the most upside uh, or the most eight upside. Funny enough, Buchalakis is starting to change as well. I don't know. Maybe if we had actually let him play further up, I could have seen it. But there was nothing to me that indicated he had that playmaking ability. And even even in his 16 minutes here, all of it, he had all like five five ten yard ten meter passes. That's that's who, that's who he is, and he's good. He's physical. He didn't really win any duels. He he had ten duels for the ball, two for ten. If you think that's good. But I mean, he's he he's okay. He is what he did. He is what he is, and I think he's going to be successful at Nottingham Forest because his physical nature in the championship, I think, is going to be very valuable. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think this is the best league for him to go to the championship. You know, he's such a big, strong guy. He loves to run, and I think it's probably a good deal. We get a more finesse player from them. I don't. I haven't seen much of this. Thiago Silva and Kafu, big, strong guy, goes over to um goes over to Forest. I think it's a good. It may be a good deal for both parties. Of course, not in and Forrest are bad right now. It looks like their coach is about to go. We wish luck to them, but it, it looks like they're they're going through some difficult times. And their fans look like they're turning on Marinaki since the project. We'll see how that goes with Kafu there. Isn't this the story of Nottingham Forest every year? I feel like every year we get into September and I just hear Marinaki's is cheap, he's terrible. They've actually had a lot of moves over the summer. They've done a, a lot of changes. So, I don't know. I mean, he, Marinaki may not be as hands-on with them as he is with Olympiacos, but I feel like I see this every year with Nottingham Forest fans. It's, it's not a new circus. Well, I know they got like 15 million pounds or something for their right-back, Matty Cash, which... Um, I think from what I've seen, some Forest fans were upset that he had to go, but, you know, 15 million pounds, we would take 15 million pounds at Olympia Coast right now. So, um, but yeah, and I think they, they almost made the playoffs last year and maybe bottled it a bit towards the end of the season. So that might be also why people are a bit upset, but I also don't watch that much championship football. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, why don't we get into the big Champions League playoff game against Omonia that took place on Tuesday earlier this week. It's the first leg. Olympiacos won 2-0 in Greece. They will head to Cyprus on Tuesday. And we talked about this game a bit on Wednesday already. Obviously, just the three of us. We hadn't seen any of the analytics yet. We were just sort of thinking first opinions. But Christian, um, you watched this game. What were your main takeaways just directly after watching the game, what were your first thoughts? Uh, Olympiacos had to definitely earn the the victory from the first leg. There's no doubt about that. Armonia 
did a very good job, I think, at stifling Olympiakos. Like, they could barely break them down or get, say, a convincing slash meaningful attempt or attempts in that first half. And, you know, credit to Pedro Martins as well. He made the necessary changes, or one of them anyway. The, the one I'm referring to being Rangelovic on for Masuras. And not so long after, he helps win a penalty and that pretty much swings the game and perhaps the tie in our favour and we went on from there. So credit to Martins for uh, that change. Absolutely. It was it was definitely a tough game. Now, my question is, now that we've had some time to kind of digest the game a little bit, Peter, Lombard, you guys got to look at a little bit at the analytics. Did any of your opinions change drastically about the match after getting a look at the data top-down? Yeah, so, I mean, I certainly had players that jumped out to me just eye test wise. Obviously, El Arabi scored one of the most, the most amazing goals we've seen him score. And, you know, some players just did really well. But we didn't really talk about the midfield too much. Um, like Bugalakis and Mahdi, they didn't really seem to do too much while we were watching. But uh, Mahdi especially, I think, had a relatively nice game when you look at the analytics. He completed almost 90% of his passes, including four of six long passes. He was getting out in into wide areas a little bit, and he had two crosses of which he connected one. Uh, he was really active defensively, only lost one duel, and uh, won one-third of the loose balls that he was involved in. He had a shot assist, um, but it was to Hassan, so we all know how that finished off. And he had 15 passes into the final third and three into the penalty area, so... Obviously, a very active game in terms of Mahdi going forward and being that attacking midfielder. And he also had five interceptions and eight ball recoveries. So I think that's overall a really solid set of analytics for Mahdi. I think he did really well. The key for me is definitely the 15 balls into the final third, uh, three into the penalty area. That was the most on the team. You know, even though we all saw Valbuena really getting involved everywhere, Mahdi was the one really especially in the first half, trying to get into that defense, really trying to break it down, send some of those balls in. And we should also give some credit to Bukalakis as well. I know that no one really talked about him too much, you know, because the, the ammonia literally parked the bus. So, you know, it was very difficult for us to find players, at least from what we saw, that really impressed us. But Bukalakis and Mahdi did most of that work, the vast majority of it. They both did very well. They were both passing a lot into the final third, both trying to make stuff happen. And the funniest thing was when I was watching the when I was watching the clips backwards, when I was watching the film, all of the unsuccessful sends into the final third were to Hassan. And the more I watched, the more he upset me with his terrible runs, his terrible decisions. It was it was really upsetting. Did, did any of your opinions change about Hassan after you looked at the data? Did he look any better to you? Well, sometimes we look at the data and look at the film and things change. Sometimes they only uh, exacerbate what we originally thought was true. And uh, I think that's more the case with Hassan. Not really that many bright spots to, uh, to look back on. And, um, you know, it's a good thing that, that changes were made in that game. But he was just, yeah just did absolutely nothing, you know, 
uh, not really standing out anywhere looking back into the film or the analytics or any of it. Hey, I, I, oh God, with Hassan, we're going, we're going back to Hassan. It always gets back to Hassan, doesn't it? Anyway, with Hassan, he ruins the rest of the team because his movement is so terrible. His holdup play is so poor and he can't dribble to save his life. Like it, it all leads back to him in these big or in important games. I know everyone who listened to the last podcast heard me rant about the Dynamo Kiev game, and I will continue to blame him for the Dynamo Kiev game. I was very upset that we did. We went out of Europe then, and we know what Hassan is, and he's just not good enough for European football. And that's my opinion. I would say. I mean, he just seems like the kind of striker that needs to be given the service rather than him saying coming up to the halfway line and holding up the ball and giving it back off to us that other way and I can recall two attempts he had in that game against Almonia like there was that header I think with five minutes to go in the first half and then his scuffed shot I think after we might have went one nil up in the second and point being he just couldn't really get into the game and I think that's why I gave him a Five out of ten, and I did some player ratings after the match. So, Actually, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if he starts on Thursday morning. Yeah, I think we all would. Uh, actually, uh, Christian, I did want to point to to your ratings because uh, obviously we did look at them when you put them up. I agreed with I, you know, the vast majority of them. Um, actually, funny, I thought that you were very nice with Hassan. I probably would have given him a three. To be honest with you, I thought you were being very nice to him. I'm sure he was very happy to see that. Well, for memory, was it a five? Five and a half? Five and a half, yeah. Mm, Yeah. Look, maybe that was a tad. um, (laughs) (laughs) This is just um, Yeah, just called it like I saw it, really. And, you know, he, he played the 90 minutes. Maybe that's what saved him from the worst rating, which I think I gave to... Masuras, who, like Hassan, couldn't really get into the game yeah, and offered nothing, really. Absolutely. And it was super telling when you saw our, uh, in terms of our, uh, the, the positional ratings for our offense, right? When you break it down to which sides had all of the danger coming from it, almost 90% came from the right side, a.k.a. Rafinha's side and Radejevic's side. Only like 10% or less than 10% came from the left when Masuras was playing. That's sad. That is really sad. And we're getting these like Jekyll and Hyde games with Masuras. We'll have a game where it's he wants to get on the goal. He actually can take on a defender. He's going to take a shot. And then we have games like today where it's like, where the hell is he? Yeah, we, we discussed, you know, Masuras with the Greek national team. If he needs a, a world-class fullback or not even a world-class, a very good fullback next to him. And I think without Jimikas, with without Rafinha on his side, he struggles to do anything. And I know Bob Beans, one of our for, our or our former guests who came on, rated Masuras. And again, I just don't. I know we we've gone over what Masuras does, but it's just the consistency isn't there. You know, you have to be consistent and you have to perform no matter who the fullback is. And he doesn't do that. And it's. I've said it before, but it's so obvious why the club is looking for another winger because other than Fortunis and Valbuena, who's going to create anything in this team? 
Pepe maybe coming in uh, as a midfielder. There's no creativity other than Fortunis and Valbuena, and we saw that with Panatolikos yesterday. There was nothing. Nothing happened that first half. There were no goal-scoring opportunities other than a, I think it was an El Arabi header at the end of the first half. It's just not good enough. The wing play is not good enough to to create anything against a team that's playing 10 men behind the ball unless you bring on Valbuena or Fortunis. It's not good enough. They need another winger, in my opinion, and this just makes it more clear. Absolutely. And I think that's why we've been looking for some of those more completed products when it comes to the wing, because we don't, we don't have it. And the sad part is we don't even have that really direct winger that can go and get shots on the, on the goal. That's what Lazarus Chisodoropoulos used to do. He would be, he was not special. He was not fancy, but man, he could get to the goal and rip shots and get goals such a shame his career with us was hampered by injury because he was arguably our most productive winger even when we had Podenza that first season because Lazarus was the one getting to goal and getting those shots there. We haven't had any real consistent wingers like that for a while. And then no Podenza means we don't have a player that can literally make something from nothing. Masuras can't make something from nothing. He's a great squad player, just, you know, just like Constantine said, just like Bob Beans has said. But he's not a guy that's going to win us a game. That's yeah, no. unfortunately that's not what we get out of him. Now I, this is my this was my fault. I did kind of bring us onto the the tangent with Masuras and Hassan. But uh, bringing it back to Bukhalakis, uh, you know, I thought in terms of Bukhal- what Bukhalakis did for this game, uh, we already brought up his his uh, very accurate passing, ninety uh, percent. Bukhalakis is always like that. So no surprises there. He had eight passes into the final third. Not as many as Mahdi, but, you know, he's getting those looks up there. Bukhalakis last year isn't doing that. And I went back into last year's player statistics just to make sure that I wasn't saying anything stupid. And he did not do this last year. This was not something he really did. So he is transforming as a player, and we're witnessing it right now. This is, this is great news. It's what we like to see from Bukalakis. He touched the ball the most out of any player on the team. The ball got to his feet 82 times, for, and, and it was passed, not just lost it. 80, those were 82 times that he received the ball and passed it off, even more than Valbuena. And had I not looked at this, I would have told you that Valbuena was the one touching the ball the most because he was arguably the one making the most happen. Or Madi, because Madi was the one getting forward. And that's even with Valbuena's limited time. But Bukalakis is becoming the backbone of this midfield with Madi. And funny thing was, I was concerned that without Guillerme, we wouldn't be switching the field as often as we did. Bukalakis did it just as much. He's assuming that role. I think Martins realized what we're, we lost in Guillerme and is trying to get that out of either Bukalakis or even Mvila. So it's, it's very good to see. Defensively, he was pretty good. Six interceptions, 10 recoveries. Also four clearances out of our back end. Uh, he won uh, all but one of his loose balls. Um, no, not many losses in possession. Sometimes that would happen. But the only losses in possession came from when his attempted long balls went to Hassan. That was a mistake. He should never have sent those balls to Hassan. That's why they were losses in possession. Uh, he had those two long shots. Uh, he had one shot assist as well. The one shot was right at the keeper, and then the other one was like way off target. Nothing really to make a stink about. 
Now, he did have two progressive runs towards the goal. That's not something we usually see from him very often, where he carried the ball forward and covered a lot of ground, meaningful distance to the goal. That's this progressive run statistic. And Bukalakis is not known for doing these at all. So he did it twice. Those actually didn't amount to anything, but the effort was there. And you mentioned Avia a little bit. We talked about in the first game where we saw them play together, how they sort of overlapped and played the same position. I wonder, because we did see Envia and Bukalakis for 15 minutes in the Omonia game, and then we saw them again, I believe, against Panetolikos. I wonder if the way that Bukalakis has developed, if that will maybe potentially become less of an issue. I mean, it seems like Envia might just be sort of a six, but maybe Bukalakis can, can really do more as far as going forward, switching the field, like you said making those runs even, uh, and maybe they, they won't sort of overlap as much as Bukalakis continues to assume sort of a bigger role for this team. I hope so. I definitely hope that's the case. Uh, but Christian, I wanted to ask you on Bukalakis because I thought your rating for him was fair. I would have given him the same. Seven because he did most things well, but he didn't really do anything. He had no key passes. He didn't really do enough to really get us a goal, I should say. He didn't do an, enough that way. Now, part of that's because most of his downfield and uh, passes into the penalty area were to Hassan, and Hassan just messed everything up. But what more would you have liked to see from Bukhalakis for him to get that maybe an 8 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 rating? Uh, probably, as you say, maybe a bit more of those forward passes. But what he did really well, I thought, was he just controlled things. And whenever he was on the ball, pretty much right from the get-go, I was confident that it was going to result in something positive, whether it was, you know, just a simple pass out to the wing or just to Maddie, you know, next to him. He just had that real confidence in central midfield. Like, he was really assured. And I think of those 82 passes you mentioned, I think he connected and 70 of them were successful. And I suppose at the end of the day, you got a reward for assisting the LRRP goal. So, mm -hmm. yeah, just him being really composed, I think, was probably the best way I could sum up his game. What about Marty? Camera, you know, very similar. I think, to me, he didn't seem to get on the ball itself as much as what Bukalakis did. I think that's probably why I gave Marty the lower rating purely because I didn't think he touched it as much. And that's not to say he played badly or anything like that. You know, he, I saw some good tackles and he broke up some of their attacks, but I just thought Bukalakis was a bit more involved in the game. Absolutely. I know in the past, uh, we've always kind of thought that Mahdi has been more present. He did cover more ground this time than Bukalakis. We saw him getting to the wings. We saw him stretching the field, doing what he could. Mahdi is much more he has much more vision downfield we know that he's more he's definitely more of that eight he's more polished and he's getting better and better every game every season we see the improvement from him i'm surprised we were able to hold on to Madi for a third season i'm going to be perfectly honest with you but he is still developing he is still becoming that that perfect eight he has better downfield vision than bukalakis that's goes for sure but Bukalakis has always done more of the defensive work, covering ground, positionally making sure that we don't get caught on the counter, staying a little deeper. 
And that was actually one of the things when we really started getting access to these player statistics that I, I always thought that Mahdi was doing everything because it just looks like it is. He's, on, he's a little bit more prominent on the field. Bukalakis has, unfortunately, the curse of the DM. He does all the hard work that nobody notices, and all the Greeks get mad at him. There were Greeks mad at him after last game too, saying that he shouldn't be on the field when we need to break down a small team. Well, guys, without Bukalakis, we don't do a lot of the breaking down, unfortunately. That's, that's, just, the fact, uh, that's just the fact of the matter at hand. Now, moving on from at least our defensive midfielding pairing, let's talk about their offensive partner, Fortunis. Fortunis for us was disappointing, to say the least. But what were your, what were your thoughts about Costas Fortunis? I know that uh, you gave him 5, 5.5 out of 10 as well on that. But what were your thoughts uh, for the listeners about Fortunis? Uh, I'll just do this one quickly because I think Lampro does want to jump in. But um, yeah, he started quite slowly i thought but what what was there from what i saw with fortunes as opposed to masuras was i could see the the effort a bit more like i could see him getting a bit more involved like with his runs and trying to play those dangerous passes in behind you know the ammonia defense that's what i didn't see with masuras and i think ultimately i found it yesterday actually that fortunes was subbed off due to i think an ankle problem it's why he didn't feature yesterday in the league so i originally thought that substitution was tactical by martins but it was it was forced but i'll let lampo jump in with what he wanted to say he's been waiting yeah no problem i when adi mentioned uh we have a third season of mari kamara i will remind you we have a week left on the transfer window and i for sure am scared that a team like arsenal are not going to get hasam arwar or Thomas Partey, and they're going to come in for the the cheaper option at 20 million euros and swoop in and take Maddie away. So I'm a bit scared this week. Everyone crossed their fingers. You know, he doesn't leave. But going on to Fortunis, yeah, it was disappointing. That, that first half was disappointing. And the English announcer who I had was um, interesting. He, he kept telling stories of the French 2010 World Cup team. But other than that, he mentioned... Can Matthew Valbuena and Costas Fortunis play football together? He's like, this is the biggest topic in Greek football. And I was like, uh, it's not a topic I've really read, but like, <laughs> okay, you know, Chief. Um, but but is is that something? Well, since he brought it up, no one else is bringing it up. Um, is that something you guys see as a problem? Fortunis and Valbuena playing together? Can they not play together? Do we have another Chori situation on our hands here? It's not a problem. We know they can play together. We've seen them play together in the past. That guy was definitely making stuff up. It's a That was a British announcer that had no idea what's going on in Greek football or any context to what's going on with the team. Did Fortunis, I think, have a bad game? Yeah, and it's not, but I need we need to be clear in terms of the context. He didn't have a bad game because he wasn't doing enough. He had a bad game because he couldn't execute the ideas he had. Yep, that's pretty much spot on as in you as i said i could see the effort it unfortunately the end product was what was missing and on fortunis and valbuena i'm not sure the bloke that lambro had commentating on that game was entirely accurate <laughs> i think they can play together quite easily but yeah with fortunis again effort was there just not the execution and speaking to the execution, we do have player metrics for this. So Fortunis had 
again, in a bad game, and this is part of our argument that Fortunis needs to be playing every game. In a bad game, he leads the teams in key passes, shot creation, and progressive runs. Highest shot assists, or tied for the highest shot assists on the team, highest progressive runs on the team, and we, you, we saw that. He had those three basically starts of a counter for us where he got the ball in midfielder as a midfielder and then dropping really deep and running forward with the ball, trying to, trying to get forward on the counter and dish it out. Now, what ended up happening was when he would get down to the wing for a cross or when he tried to take a shot or when he tried to make a pass, he, stuff was getting blocked. His dribbling wasn't quite as on point. The same moves that he did as a super sub coming on in some of our games didn't really work out this time. The Cypriot defenders, the Cypriot midfielders were able to cut it out. They, you know, just kind of stayed goal side of him and were patient and watched the ball. He couldn't get by them as well. But the effort was there. The vision was there. It's just the execution was off. So despite him having a disappointing performance, and I know that I'm saying this and I'm already going to get social media uh, people attacking me on social media, especially the non-Olibiakos fans, because they think I just have this love affair with Fortunis. Well, I, I kind of do. He's my, favorite, he's my favorite Greek player, so I'm not going to deny that. He's my favorite Greek player. I think he's the most talented Greek player we have. However, when he has a bad game, he still creates. The only question here is whether or not the execution can be more positive. That's what separates him from having a, a bad game or a worse game, not the effort. At least not anymore. I mean, honestly, we can just blame it on Hassan, I think. You know, why not? Like, Absolutely. It's, it's hard Hassan to play. It's hard to execute when, when you literally have a dud striker who can't do anything. Um, so, and we've seen, yeah, I think that's a really good point that, and, and we've said it before, I think that the important thing about Fortunis is that he tries to, he tries risky things. Sometimes you need that in an attack. You need the team to actually make a risky attempt, even if it means half the time you give the ball away, but the other half of the time it might result in a really good chance at a goal. And I think those sort of plays, Fortunis is really, really willing to make them. He loves to take defenders on, obviously, as we know, he loves to make really unexpected, bold passes. And some days he might be having an off game, but in reality, that's not, for me, it's not a reason that he should be benched or anything because he's just as likely to have an amazing game and dish out a couple assists or score a goal in the next game by doing the same same exact stuff so i want to ask you guys this more general question just going away from everything so there's a real split with olibiakos fans people who are really concerned that this isn't the same team they're not producing the same they're over relying on a 36 year old matthew valbuena what do you think the problem is if there is a problem? One, we don't have enough games. This is like a preseason. Um, two, we've lost our fullbacks and they were a key part of our creativity. Or three, is the, is the team regressing? I, I wonder what you guys think about that, just putting it out on the floor, because I've seen this debate kick off. And I, I know Olympiakos EU has been retweeting and commenting on things like that in Greek. And I know some people don't read Greek, so it's a bit hard to follow. But I'd like to hear from you guys what you guys think of it. I personally don't think the team is regressing, actually. I think the first two points that you mentioned are probably the the key issues with the team right now, especially the fullback situation. We've talked at length about how involved our fullbacks traditionally get 
in the attack, how a player like Mazoras is made much better with Chimikas right beside him down the left flank. We've talked about how Holebas was literally expected to be a Toro Cities replacement and never play, and now he is playing every single game for the club. Uh, we talked about how Rafinha is a decent player, but he's 36 years old and we're still looking for a new right back. I mean, this is the main situation to me. Obviously, it also doesn't help that the club had very little time off and the preseason was short, but in reality, most other clubs have sort of been dealing with the same thing, um, especially in these Champions League games. All of these teams have been playing these playoffs. I think um, like Ammonia has had even more rounds than us, so they are theoretically less fresh than we are. So I think really the main issue is just the fullbacks. It's an obvious personnel issue. I mean, we've got Jose Jovevas playing every single game for us at like age 35 or 36 or however old he is. I think that's probably the main problem that needs to be addressed. You summed it up pretty well there, Peter. I mean, me personally, I think it's a pretty small sample size, what, two, three games that yeah, that's into true. The, this season to make a call that we're regressing or whatever. But um, yeah, as you said, I think we do need to address our fullback depth rather quickly. Yeah, but again, this is Greek football. You know, you gotta you gotta have your hot takes ready, and you gotta say the team's regressing, right? That's, <laughs> that's how things are. <laughs> I I definitely don't think the team's regressing, and the reason Greek fans are saying this is because if you guys remember, I think it was our Super League opener, or maybe it was like the second game. Uh, we you know we we had one of our first Super League games. We won five nothing against Volos. So people are seeing that we're winning games to nothing, you know, and not – I'll still say it's convincing, but we're scoring in the second half after changes. But I want to remind everybody, when we started last season, people were saying the same thing. We only beat Asteras 1-0. We only beat Larisal 1-0 in the beginning of the season. We always start our seasons like this, more cautious, a little bit slower. This is nothing to freak out about. Defensively, we are sound. We are dominating these games. There's nothing to worry about. I don't think we're regressing. I actually think, I still think the team is improving. And look at how much we dominate games without a, without really any other creators besides Valbuena and Fortunis on the team. Yeah, and I guess briefly getting into the Panatoli Coast game as we sort of discuss situations where people perceive that the team is underperforming just because the result isn't super flashy. You know, we didn't win 6-0, and we only scored in the second half. But, um, I mean, w during that second half, when Valbuena came on, it was it was a very dominant performance from Olympiacos. Uh, not a whole ton of the possession, but, I mean, Panatolikos really barely got anything on goal in that half. And it was really, in my opinion, a tale of two halves when you look at the expected goals from each team in each half. Expected goals, basically a metric that sort of measures based on the type of chances that your team gets where the ball is shot and not necessarily what player, but just, you know, on average, how often a shot like that will result in a goal. It basically measures the average number of goals that you would be likely to get. In the first half, we uh, Olympiacos only had 0.22 expected goals. So basically, like, on average, given the chances we got, teams probably won't score. Panatolikos had 0 0.39. So they actually had more expected goals than us in the first half. You go to the second half, Valbuena comes on. We had 1.45 expected goals and two real goals. 
Panathinaikos had 0.03 expected goals. So literally, like it would have it would have been very very surprising if they scored basically. So I think that is basically showing that you know we still played reasonably well. It just took this adjustment. I'm totally okay with Martins rotating a little bit because we can get away with it if it means that we don't win every Greek league game 6-0. I really really doesn't bother me that much. And I just want to jump in. We we have not mentioned this. I'm very surprised. We look a little further north, and how 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 are Pauk doing in the league, guys? Not too good. Two draws. They can't even score a goal. They can, they look terrible. I don't know if any of you guys watched this. Thing. Volos were outplaying them. They should have won too. Volos should have had a penalty. It was like clear cut. Uh, we we are very lucky to be complaining about this. One other note: Jose saw class. Just yeah. so good. Him Happy being back. He made a freaking amazing save one-on-one with uh, Panatolikos. Like, the only chance I think they had, really. God, he's just so good. I, it, he brings so much confidence, you know, because of how good he is. But, yeah, anyway, just Pauk and Jose Sa, two thoughts I had. Yeah, on Jose Sa, I think you're alluding, Lambro, to the great save he made. I think it was a near-post effort where he's just turned it somehow from two yards out for a corner with the shot looked like it was hit with a lot of venom. So, yeah, it's definitely a plus, needless to say, to have him in goals as opposed to Zolakis, who's, you know, obviously not bad, but if you give me the choice, I'd obviously pick Saar. Yeah, for sure. I And I think Saar is just, he just radiates confidence. You know, that's really when you know you have a top keeper is when the defenders feel confident passing mm-hmm. back or interchanging with him. We saw that uh, when we talked about the the Wolves game with Bobby Allen, you know, just it was immediate. Passes weren't crisp even from the midfield because people were scared to move it in certain ways. Scared it will go back to the goalkeeper who was absolutely terrible. So Saw just, you don't even notice him. You're so calming. It's it's nice, really. And he comes for balls very easily. It's He's, he's top. We're so lucky to have him. Hopefully he doesn't go in the next week. Let's hope for that. I just want to touch on something that was brought up when we were talking about, say, the view that the team's regressing. And there was a point about reliance on Valbuena. And I can sort of back that up because without a doubt against Omonia, the first leg, a lot of our attacking successes or attempts to have successful attacks did go through him. So ideally, you'd probably want more than one player that does that but again that's one game it's a very small sample size to you know pick on but i can see that sort of side of the argument can we also say that el arabi is definitely back the king of qatar scored again i'm gonna just repeat something that i said earlier form is temporary class is permanent worry no more everybody el arabi is definitely back those goals are continuing to come he will be what, maybe that other guy that can help us in a pinch, get goals when we need him. He's back. Well, he's got Lazar Rangelovic to thank for that gorgeous cross for his goal oh, yesterday. That was fantastic. Yeah, and I, it's strange that El Arabi's back because I swear I saw Mitroglu at the airport. You know, he's, com- he's coming back. The, the rumors aren't dying. Don't make me mute you. I'm, I'm going to fly over to Geneva right now. <laughs> Supposedly, Stop. he's going to be released soon. It could, huge signing. I don't know. 
I wonder if he's munching on protein bars every five seconds at the airport, as you say, Lumbro. I don't know if you boys have seen, but his old Fulham teammate a while back, Steve Sidwell, gave, I think, a three-minute, arguably a roasting of Mitroglu and his training habits and how he performed on the pitch. It was quite funny. Recommend you I look it up it. somewhere. <laughs> I believe it a hundred percent. I saw how much weight he had gained at one point too. I couldn't believe it was the same person. That's, that's yeah, Sidwell said that he said he's a big boy that lad, or in <laughs> classic British accent. <laughs> it was very funny. Oh, Eat God. the English food, you know. He he wanted to go back to Sublaki or something. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so. While we're on the strikers then, after El Arabi, what did you guys think of our a brief look at Kuipers? Anything to write home about? You know, I felt bad for Kuipers, you know. I, um, I, I kind of, I did like what I was seeing of him, but he didn't have anyone to help him, really, because there was no creativity from Masuras and, and Rajelovic, I would say. And from, from the fullback, fullback positions as well, Bruno and Holebas were the fullbacks, you know. That was pain to watch, but I felt bad for him to come off at halftime. It made sense him coming off at halftime, but you know, I, I hope he he sticks around. I hope this isn't Kuipers is done. He's he's out the door now because I, I do I I think there's a player there. You know. Yeah, I agree 100 percent with Bamro in the sense that it was probably the right decision to take him off. We needed Valbuena on the pitch. He was pretty quiet. He only had one shot. It wasn't on target. He only received the ball six times. His passing stats weren't great. You know, as you say, it's not entirely his fault that that's the case. He didn't really have a whole lot of support. I certainly do want to see him again. I think we'll have opportunities to see him again in these Greek games. Like, it's not a super high-risk play to, to throw him in there against Vodos or any of these teams. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say anything to write home about personally. He didn't really jump out, but definitely – a considerable option and uh he could have been he could have been worse because you know we saw Hassan in the midweek so it's definitely worth trying him out again yeah on Kuiper's the highlights package of yesterday's game which is all I've got to go off didn't feature him you know a lot of times so and I've never seen the guy play so I can't really write him off happy to give him a chance over Hassan because I have seen Hassan play and it's fair to say I'm not overly impressed with him. So, And and guys, I don't know uh, if you saw this, but uh, Nova Sports did an interview with uh, Kuypers and he actually speaks Greek. You know, it, it's so crazy. You see a foreign player, he, the, the interviewer goes, Milas Elimica. He's like, oh, ne, Lika. And they, they did the interview in Greek, in like a broken Greek. I could not believe what I was seeing. And it was like, actually so impressive to just see this this belgian guy speaking with a french greek accent it was, it was quite funny and I, I just like this guy's a good guy like the way he was talking to the reporter and i i'm really rooting for him actually you know that that interview put, put him over the top for me and and him just trying to to get in with the group of guys i, I think he's a good guy to keep around and i really hope he sticks around i, I want to see what he's got what does that say when you have a guy how long has kuiper's been in greece a couple of years yeah, so he was with Ergotelis in the second division. He just exploded, played really well. And then, actually, the reporter asked him, like, uh, you speak Greek? How do you, how do you speak Greek? And he said, 
oh, I went on loan to Adjico, I think that was the club in the second division of France, and Quasim Lacy, who was our youth product player who left for there, an Albanian international, I believe now, grew up his whole life in Greece. He's like, we speak Greek with each other. I was like, this is incredible stuff. This is, this is really actually yeah. such a great story, you know, and and I don't know. He just seems like a happy, an exciting story coming from Eric Otelis, and he works hard, and he's gone out alone a few times, you know. I, I just hope it works out. A, a, a player who may not work out, Andruzos. Well, mm. what do you guys think about that? I thought yesterday's game would have been perfect for him. We have no fullbacks. Andruzos can, in theory, play fullback. It would have been a perfect time to see him play, but I guess he's not on the cards. It's probably another loan now, I would assume. That's that's just another... Uh, this is another case that I just don't understand. They made such a stink about bringing him back into the team, giving him a new contract because they wanted to build him up as part of the new midfield core. And we haven't seen him, haven't heard from him. Doesn't make any sense to me. So there's just a couple things, even though I'll say in the offseason, our movements have been mainly positive. You have just a couple, Gutris and Andruzos, that just make no sense. They make no sense at all. Why why bring so much attention to the fact that you're going to renew Adruzzos? You want him to be part of your midfield core, and then nothing. Yeah, to be perfectly honest, I almost forgot Andruzzos existed until you boys brought him up just now. I mean, just haven't you haven't heard much really from him and where he's at. I mean, it's a bit of a confusing situation in that way. Yeah, I've, I, I, the, the one thing I think that we have with Andrutos is Andrutos was from that promising class, the Paulo Bento class, I almost call them, Nicolao, Manthatis, Rezos, and uh, there may have been one other, I forget. But anyway, the, the, that group looked like the future of Olympiacos, and, you know, Andrutos is the only one who, who's lasted, you know, and it's quite sad because I really thought that was our, our golden generation, you know. And I, I guess I'm just rooting for someone from that group to make it in our team. Of course, Retos was sold for big money. We're hoping he comes back, but he hasn't turned into the player we want. Nicolau is somewhere in Serie B, I think Empoli. And Manthatis was in Cyprus last year. It's just, it's kind of sad because we thought that group had so much potential. And I'm really rooting for Andruzos. I, I still remember the assist he gave. Did, was it the assist to Kareem Ansari Fard against the Turkish team in the Europa League? Anyway, that was so long ago, I don't remember very clearly. But I have hope for him, and I, I really hope, if even if it's not this year, he figures it out one year in the club. I hope so. I, I mean, not just, and Greeks in general, uh, even though I, I like to see it, it's not something for me that I need to have, but I like to see more Greeks performing well on the field for us, especially our own products. You know what I mean? It, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like we have a direction for the future. And we're not just going to be looking every window to supplement here, supplement there. It, it makes me feel like we actually have a vision for the future. But before, before I go a little bit further, we haven't really talked about our defense a lot. Well, and I just wanted to say with regard to Andruzos, I think what everyone has said is, is a very good point. And as you said, Adi, it's not an aspect like for me, I'm, I'm not Greek, but it is nice to see not only Greek players in the team, but also the fact that the team can produce a player from the academy and just plug them right in. That is also very nice. And it's a bit concerning for me because literally, as we said, they had every excuse to give Andruzos a game here and, and he still didn't, I don't even think he got in the team. Uh, so that's a little concerning. But with regards to the defense, um, 
I mean, I think they were they were pretty solid against Omonia. Um, we talked in, I think it was the episode with Bob about sort of the, what center back partnership is the best. And we sort of all came to the conclusion that Semedo and Ba is probably the best way to go. I think Ba was excellent against Omonia defensively. He was very good. Um, Semedo obviously we'll have to see, but I think what he can do on the ball just makes him so valuable. Um, of course, who knows how long he will be with the club, but and then we had, I think, Cissé and Semedo this weekend. Um, so Semedo is still in the team, obviously, but we might have to get used to him being out potentially with this Ruben Diaz deal. And, and Semedo, I, we touched upon it on Wednesday, but against like lower league sides, just stupid decisions, just stupid stuff, either picking up a card or t- marking someone too tightly. The amazing save that Sam made, Semedo defended that terribly. It just... He just has lapses where it's clear he just doesn't care. And he's like, I'm too good for this league. And it leads to moments like that. That's why I, I the English announcer, going back to him again, he was like, oh, my God, looking at Ruben Semedo, he gets so many red cards and yellow cards, blah, blah, blah. And then he made a stupid foul. And this guy's like, oh, my God, Ruben Semedo, if he gets sent <laughs> off, he's an idiot, like, blah, blah, blah. Classic English reporter or looking at the stats and like that's what you take. But, but again, just stupid stuff, man. Like, I, I'm not gonna say I'm happy. I'd be happy to see him go, but I don't know. I think it, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. The so I the reason I brought the defense up, of course, I was going to bring up Semedo as well because even with Ammonia, we saw some questionable decisions from him. There were some questionable challenges that I I, I just felt like. He was he was getting lazy, you know, lazy on the challenge, just kind of sticking a foot out, you know, maybe thinking that oh this he's no, I mean first of all he knows he's better than probably the majority of the competition even against Omonia he knows he's better than most of the players on the pitch, but when I went back to last year's Champions League and Europa League games and watched Semedo's performances, he was almost perfect defensively. I mean nobody got by him. He was very calm and going into challenges 100%. Against Ammonia, he won in terms of his defensive duels, three of five. And even the three he won, it didn't seem like he, he was exerting the effort to actually win the ball. He just stuck his foot in there. And this is, I know I've talked about it in the past, but it's becoming troubling to me. It shows me that... He doesn't care, which uh, it's hard to get players of his caliber to care in Greece. Yes. But now, even against Ammonia, okay, yeah, we're a better team than they are. But that's still Champions League. You still have to take this seriously. And I know he's a great player. I know he's amazing. But the, the lack of mental discipline is troubling. It is really troubling. The whole transfer saga needs to be over. Whether he leaves or whether we keep him, this whole thing just needs to be done with because I think it's definitely having an effect on him. And it's starting, it's starting to worry me a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I, it's difficult because he's such a talented player. You can see it. He just It's so effortless with him, but his decision-making is so poor. It's just... It, it, it's not... It's almost like he's bored, you know. He's like going back to this weird Instagram live he did with like the the nightclub owner, champagne owner. It was super weird. Anyway, if you guys want to find it, I think it's on Instagram somewhere. But 
he was like, I've won everything in Greece. And the guy said, oh, how do you motivate yourself, Ruben, to, to keep going? He was like, it's difficult. I've done it all here in Greece and uh, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it's, it's the mentality. He's got talent. He's so talented, but it's just the mentality. He thinks he's done it. And he thinks he's, he's walked the league. And I think he's ready to move on, to be honest. He, he thinks he's made the step up. And he's going to take the step up to Europa League with Benfica. Enjoy. Anyway. He's won it all. And I mean, yes, he won the cup and the Greek league in one season as I mean, yeah, he's, he's not exactly a, a, a decorated player. I mean, he's acting like he's acting like he's like David Alaba in Germany. Like that's a guy who's actually won it all. Semedo has been here for one season and uh, we could have won Europa league last year and we didn't. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like we didn't win it all. You know, that was a competition that we could have won. And uh, if he wants to go play for Benfica and, you and, know, potentially yeah, do worse in Europa League than us, you know, he can, he can do that. Yeah, and Peter, I don't want to cut you off, but let's remember what Ruben Semedo did in Europe for the second half of the season. He got suspended for the second game against Arsenal. He got sent off within 20 minutes against Wolves. Didn't play the second fixture. You know... If Ruben Tomato wants to play the big games, you know, he needs to have better decision-making. It's, it's getting frustrating at this point, you know? Yeah, it's not ideal. It's really not. But, and I mean, like, I don't want to, you know, slander him too much because he is, he, as we said, he's, he's incredibly talented when he's playing well. Like, literally, he changes games, just wins everything and plays well with the ball. But, yeah, the mentality is a bit disappointing at sometimes, and – um it's just, it's sad for me to see that he really doesn't value the club that much. It seems like he doesn't really love Olympiacos as a club and he's just going to forget about his time here when he leaves. Like you think about Podence, um, I remember, I think it was maybe during lockdown and he was just like on Instagram live answering questions and whenever people, you know, obviously Olympiacos fans were all up in his DMs there. And whenever they would ask him about Greece, he would he would just speak so kindly about the club and about the country and just how fond his memories were of Greece. Because if you think about it, he he literally turned from nothing to a guy who was scoring goals in Champions League and was a valuable player and now is a starter on a good Premier League team. Like Olympiakos did that for him. I mean, obviously he did the hard work and all that, but Olympiakos gave him that exposure. And, and Podence is really... You can tell he's really thankful and, and values the, the, the step that Olympiakos was in his career. And I think Semedo, you know, maybe it will be a similar stepping stone. I mean, yeah, I don't think Benfica are like that much bigger of a club than us. Um, but who knows? I just don't see Semedo sort of treating our, his time here the same way. Well, Benfica, in terms of their, just their value, they're in another planet their their yeah, of club value and stuff they're way more valuable than we are in terms of what they've accomplished and you know whether it's a step in his career for i mean we do we do need to acknowledge okay in in the greek super league he he has he's won the, the league in the cup double i mean winning the double in a league that's really the most you can do in that setting so he has won technically everything he can win in greece i know it's weird that i'm coming in to his defense here when I'm the one that called them out to begin with. So that's the irony isn't lost on me, but I do understand him being, you know, it being difficult to motivate him. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you beat a, when you beat a game on like, you know, Xbox or whatever, 
are you going to keep playing that same thing after you've already beaten it over and over and over again? Are you going to keep trying to play it through with as much enthusiasm? Yeah, I understand that completely. And what, what confuses me is, okay, I understand that completely, but you want to go to Benfica? You know, you played in Sporting, you played in Portugal, you want it all. You're going to be a bench player between, behind Otamendi and Vertonghen. That's what he's looking at right now, and that's what the manager essentially said after the game. Semedo would be our third-choice center back. That is not an upgrade whatsoever. If Wolves were coming in again with 15 million, okay, that makes sense. You're making the next step to a huge league, a league you haven't even played in. Good for you. Like We understand that completely, but you're going to go to Benfica to be the third-choice center back it, in a team that's not playing in Champions League? I, I, I don't see the ambition in that move, to be honest with you. And I don't want to dwell on this too much. We probably should be wrapping up kind of soon, but um, maybe Semedo has done everything in Greece. In, in his time with us, he had been selected for the Portuguese national team. I don't know if he was ever actually capped, but he at least made it to the bench. Do we see him getting selected ever again if he's a bench player on Benfica? Like, I, I don't know. With his previous mur attempted murder charges and attempted kidnapping... I don't know if he sees yeah. the Portuguese national team. I mean, to to be fair, he he made the bench for us, and but I just I personally don't see him ever getting that close. And and I know how much players traditionally value the national team. You know, it's a, an incredibly great accomplishment to make that. I mean, Portugal is also a, an incredible country to play for. They've won big trophies in Europe. Semedo. Like, yeah, I guess you want to play for Benfica, but like Lambro said, you've already played at that level, and, and he's kind of, in my eyes, he's really um, worsening his chances of ever representing his country. Yeah, I would agree with the sentiment that if you were to leave Olympiacos for Benfica and become the third-choice centre-back, as apparently the manager has alluded to, I think he'd be doing his chances of of, you know, being a starting centre-back in that Portuguese side, to be doing that a disservice, I would have thought. Yeah, and I, I, I think if he kept his his playing level up to where we saw it at almost a year ago in the – over a year ago, wow, so long ago. Over a year ago in Champions League qualifiers, Wolves would have been knocking on the door between the relationship we have with Mendes and with Wolves. Wolves – Okay, Cody and Bali are quite good, but they have the Swiss or Tunisian. Moroccan. Moroccan. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I could see them knocking very easily, but his levels have dropped, and that's why it's Benfica at the door, and it's not Wolves or a Premier League team, to be honest with you. And I, I, I just don't see the ambition here, and I, I'm confused with the move. It may, I think maybe it also could be a little bit of homesickness, because he is he is Portuguese, you know, so I think I think maybe part of it's homesickness. Maybe he does kind of want to go back home. Think about what the poor guy's been through. Not, well, I shouldn't say the poor guy. Think about what he's been through. Again, I'm not gonna defend any of that because he did a lot of that himself. Attempted murder charge, a possible kidnapping, whatever he did in Spain, he got himself into a lot of trouble. He's yeah. banned from Spain. He cannot enter the country of Spain <laughs> anymore. Yeah. So the, the guy's been through a lot. And, you know, coming to Olympiacos last season was part of his redemption. 
you know, not just as a player, but as a person. He came in, he had to prove that he could play the game, and he had to prove that he's not a criminal. And I think I think he he did that. My my issue is with him, it's instead of continuing to put the hard work, he's expecting, okay, now I, I the, the redemption's already there. It's it's a long road and there's a lot that he has to do. That's why I, you know, regardless of whether or not I think he's in the right or not, I just want this to be over. The the one because I feel like when the transfer window's over and that possibility is out of the air, especially for him, that maybe he'll settle down and be like, okay, I gotta work. And there's nothing else distracting him. Yeah, and one thing I really the the homesickness which you just brought up um the coronavirus situation here in europe is getting getting more and more out of hand and travel restrictions i'm I'm trying to go to athens in the next few weeks but it's really difficult now with cases going up and that that point you made is maybe he cannot go see his family you know there's going to be travel restrictions in place this winter and if he can't go see his daughter his sister his mother you know yep okay that that's a that's something I didn't think about actually that you brought up and that that's totally fair you know it's going to be a difficult winter for foreign players I think and with, with just a lack of travel borders are already closing here in Europe so it's going to be tough for him and and for all our foreign players I should say yeah I can definitely understand the or see the sympathy for him should he decide to go back to Portugal for family reasons and if that were to eventuate I can obviously understand that. Yeah, and I think, I suppose by either next weekend, if not sooner, we will know what is happening with Semedo, and it will be interesting to see if his mentality changes a little bit if he does end up staying at the club, and and of course what happens to him at Benfica. Obviously, you know, ever since we've sort of gotten wind that he kind of doesn't want to be here, you know, the the connotation around him hasn't been great, but. Um, He's been a solid player for us this year, certainly. And uh, at the end of the day, we have to wish him the best. But with that being said, uh, do any of you guys have any final thoughts about, you know, the, the last two games this week or the upcoming fixtures next week? Well, all I can say is the, there is one huge difference between what's going on this year and what's going on in the last couple of years. And that is Martin's game management his game management has also improved. We've talked about mm -hmm. improvements with other players, improvements at different positions. Martin's game management so far this season is a huge improvement, huge improvement. For two years, I have complained. So many people have complained that subs don't come on fast enough. He doesn't make sometimes the right changes. And right now this season, literally every game we've played since the new season has begun, Champions League, everything, he is making the right subs, correctly identifying and addressing what is lacking, and it's having an effect on every single game. Yeah. Literally, every game has changed when we have made our subs. So I think that we also need to recognize and give credit to Martins for improving as well and better managing the games at hand. Yeah, I can certainly vouch for the successful substitutions in the Ammonia game. I mean, I think bringing on... Rangelovic probably turned the game and it really well, clearly obviously helped us get the win in that first leg. So you can definitely vouch for the successful subs in, in that one. And just 
just to close, if any Pauk fans are listening, it's getting cold at the top. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, tough for you guys to keep up with this team. So good luck to you guys, because four points behind, we're not giving up on this lead. Good luck this season. You're gonna need it. That's it. That's all I got. Little banter. Lambro, now you're just now now our DMs are just gonna be full of Pauk <laughs> fans. Uh, Thanks for saying that. <laughs> I just, but, we haven't talked about the lead already. Four points. Like last year, we didn't get to four points until January. So there we go. It's a good start. Go. But yeah, I, I agree about Martins. And I think, you know, we even saw a little bit of rotation this weekend. You know, that was a big criticism of ours last season. Still want to see more of that, especially with all the older players we have in the team. It might require some more squad depth on, on behalf of the transfer market, but Definitely some improvements from our teams. And yeah, literally the first three games absolutely changed by some of the tactical switches he made. But that all being said, Christian, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was really great talking to you about the club and uh, I'm glad we can make this work. For those who aren't aware, uh, Christian is based in Australia. Uh, I think he's like 16 hours ahead of me. So it's five o'clock a.m. in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada when I started recording this. So I woke up at 4.30 in the morning to do this podcast. And Christian, I think is... Staying up a bit late um, as we're wrapping up. I think it's what 10, 11 p.m. over there. It is currently 10:44 p.m. <laughs> Sunday, 27th of September, madness. 2020. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> madness. So, really glad we could get this to work out, and uh, I'm more than happy to get up in the in the middle of the night to to do this. Um, while we have you here, is there anything else you want to plug or promote on social media? You know, we talked about how us football, but aside from that, where can we? you know, read about what you're, uh, what you're talking about with the club. Obviously, we talked about your match ratings. We know you will produce those for other games as well. Yeah, so me, personally, for the Hellas football page, I would, as you said, hope to do more of the Olympiacos player ratings, definitely in the matches we happen to play in Europe, as I can watch those a lot. Um, those games are a lot more accessible to me in Australia and the Greek national team. I do uh, reports and reviews on those games as well. So that's more what I do personally. And yeah, if any of our, any of the listeners are keen for news on all things Greek football, as I mentioned off the top at Hellas footy on Twitter and Hellas football on Facebook head there. And I'm sure we'll service your needs that way. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I'm sure, the three of us personally will be looking forward to continuing to read all of the Hellas football content and uh, especially your work as well. So thank you so much for coming on and uh, thank you to everyone for listening as well, especially if you've made it this far. We're coming to you from four different countries today. So very exciting stuff and uh, quite literally international, you know, coming from all sorts of different time zones. So from around the world, we appreciate you for listening and we'll see you next time.